Welcome back to session two of If Money Talk. We're asking the question, what would money say if money could talk? And we've discovered that what money would say actually matches what Jesus did say when he did talk about money. Now, if you'll remember in session one, I asked you, what would you do or what do you do with your spare money, your extra money? And then I went about proving to you that you actually have spare money or you had it anyway, because all of our money is accounted for, right? We either spend it or we're about to spend it or we're paying off what we spent it on a long time ago or maybe we're saving it for a vacation or a rainy day or retirement. And I used a word to describe this destructive cycle and the word was, well, you'll remember, greed. Greed, as we discovered, is the assumption that everything that comes our way is for our consumption. That every single dollar that comes my way, it's meant for me. Every dollar that comes your way, it's meant for you. It's meant to spend now or it's meant to save for later so you can spend it later. But either way, it's for you, it's for me. Now, of course, Jesus disagreed with this whole idea. In fact, he told us, and he didn't mince words, that life does not consist. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In other words, life is not about stuff. Life is not about what you have. Life is not a race for newer, nicer, upgraded, renovated. Life is so much more than that, and you know that. And your money, Jesus said, is just a tool. In fact, if money could talk, it would remind us, I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of your life. Now this week, we're gonna discuss a second thing our money might tell us if our money could actually talk. And if our money could actually talk, it might tell us this. The moment you think you own me, I actually own you. The moment you think you own me, I actually own you. Well, thanks, Beth. <laughs> oh, good morning. Uh, you guys, I, I, what's so cool is there's so many new faces around here. Uh, so some of you I know know me, and a bunch of you don't, and uh, that's just exactly how it should be. Uh, and I'm so glad uh, to be back and get a share this morning. I love this place. I love you guys. I love this church. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, I hope you know that. Um, and so it's, uh, God, okay, I wasn't expecting to get, uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm very, very glad to be able to be back in this place. Uh, God is uh, moving here, and so thank you for uh, letting me come share. And let's start just by saying, that Bill. <laughs> Seriously, Bill calls me a few weeks ago, right? And Bill's like, hey, do you want to preach? And I'm like, of course, man. Yeah, I'd love to. And he goes, great, because you're talking about money. <laughs> awesome. And then he goes, oh, and by the way, we're going to have you like start the uh, you know, clips with some clips of Andy Stanley. All right, so just for those of you who don't live in church world, Andy Stanley is widely considered, arguably considered, probably the best communicator in the country. So... Jim, you get to talk about money, and you get to follow Andy Stanley. That's going to be great, man. That Bill, honestly, you guys, he's still just bitter that I beat him year after year after year in guerrilla warfare. You remember? Come on now. I took him down. So remember that, Bill. Are you watching, Bill? I'm looking at you right now, live stream. So, um, so in all seriousness, this is great, and I actually... I'm actually quite thrilled about talking about money. You want to know why? I've, uh, I used to hate talking about money for two reasons. The first reason I hated talking about money was this. I always felt like any time I preached about money, there was most of the crowd was thinking, he's encouraging us to give to the church and therefore to his own salary. That is honestly, I hated that feeling. 
I hated thinking, oh, you know, guess what? You all have already paid my salary. You don't do that anymore. So I'm getting nothing out of this. Now, somebody in the crowd's thinking, yeah, but he's probably getting an honorarium of some kind. You know what? I called Bill and Beth, and I told him before this, I said, you can't pay me for this talk. I want nothing for this talk today. So here's the deal. I actually get to give a money talk where I am not benefiting one bit from this in any kind of fashion. So I would like for you to know as we get into this today, everything you hear from me today about money is completely my conviction and hopefully from what Jesus has taught us about this topic, 100%. I don't get a benefit at all. Isn't that great? I love this. Okay. So that's, that's one reason why I hated talking about it. Uh, I'll tell you the other reason in a second, but let's just remember what Maurice said last week as he kicked off this series, If Money Talked. Maurice said that Jesus taught about this more than any other topic. That's really interesting. He talked about it more than marriage. He talked about it more than sex. He talked about it more than helping people across the street who need help across the street. He talked about it more than church attendance. He talked about money. Why? Why do you talk about money? You guys, this topic goes to the heart of our hearts. How we navigate our money reveals so much about what's in the core of who we are and who we believe God to be. You're going to see that today. It's also a source of massive anxiety, and it has always been the case. Thousands of years ago, this was anxiety. And so Jesus is speaking to the practical topics that actually matter to human beings. So today we're going to dive into that. i got to pull Andy Stanley up again, though, right? Because he's the man. But actually, this, this is a great idea that I think helps frame us for how this topic can produce anxiety, anxiety especially in a day and age like we've got today economically around us. Check out this next video from Andy Stanley. Now, to illustrate this, I want us to look at the way the typical American handles their finances. And this is going to be a little bit disturbing. Here's a graph. Uh, we can't talk about finances without using a graph, right? So, so here you go. The y-axis, the y-axis is actually your money, and the x-axis is actually your time, your lifetime. Now, hopefully, in your lifetime, your income will look something like this. And for many of us, our spending will look something, well, it'll look something like this. The truth is, most of us allow our income to actually match or drive our spending. In other words, if you make $45,000 a year, you're going to spend $45,000 a year. If you make $55,000 a year, spend it. $100,000 a year, spend it. $200,000 a year, spend it. $250,000 a year, to which you may respond, not me. If I made $200,000 a year, I would save a lot of it. Maybe, but probably not. I say probably not because your current habit would follow you right up the pay scale. And that's not the only thing that would follow you. Financial pressure would follow you as well, which will come as a shock because you think if I made that much money, how could I possibly have any financial pressure? Well, you would be surprised. People who make that much money, but have spent it all, you know, car payments, big mortgage, second mortgage, they feel extraordinary financial pressure. For some of you, this is your story, right? You are making more money than you've ever made and you feel as much financial pressure or more as you've ever felt. In fact, 
it's worse, right? Because you see, if you lose a $55,000 a year job, you can go find one of those. You lose a $250,000 a year job or maybe a $400,000 a year job, you know, good luck, right? Those jobs are few and far between. The more money people make, if their spending follows their income, the more pressure they actually feel. I think that, for me, um, the second reason why I haven't liked to talk about this topic very much is because um, as a pastor, you just don't make that much money, generally speaking, relative to some of your friends. And so you, you, you've got a limited pool of money to work with. And for me, and this is just honest, some of you are amazing. Like giving is such a gift that you have in your life. You're just generous. I wish I could tell you that was true of me. Uh, I just have been the kind of person that sees it as a chore. You know, I, I get this money, and then I'm supposed to give away 10% of my money, and it has felt to me like a massive chore. And it has caused me, in some ways, uh, to become really tight with our, our budget and that kind of stuff, to the point where I had a friend a few years ago say to me, hey, you know what, this is not a lie. This was the conversation we had. Imagine if this happened to you, okay? My friend says to me, i got to tell you about this conversation I had the other morning when we were out to breakfast, me and some guys. These are all guys that I know. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. What are you guys talking about? This is so funny. The topic came up at this breakfast. Who is the stingiest person that you know? I was like, really? You guys talk about that at breakfast. Who's the stingiest person you know? Yes. You know who we decided is the stingiest person that we all know? I'm like, tell me. You, Jim, you are the stingiest. He wasn't kidding. Fortunately, I'm friends with this guy, and I could, like, get over it. That one hurt. You imagine that one hurt, and then I had to take a step back and go, is there truth in that? There is truth in that. And so the second reason I haven't liked talking about this topic is I feel like a hypocrite. And so today, here's what I'd report to you. I've maybe grown a little bit in this, you guys. You know what they say like about a broken clock, that it's right twice a day? I, I think I've grown like a little bit in this. And the reason over the last couple years I've grown is I think this insight that I want to share today, I actually think this insight could be life-changing. Not because it's mine, but because it comes straight out of a story that Jesus told that in typical Jesus form is brilliant. Now, for those of us who uh, believe that Jesus was God on earth, this isn't surprising, right? God would understand and be able to share with us like, hey, here's... Here's how life works since I created it. Uh, for those of us who are in the room who are checking this out or skeptical or whatever, awesome. Enjoy these fantastic, amazing words from this Jesus because they're brilliant. It really is some brilliant thoughts that he's got. And the core of this parable, it's a story that he tells, kind of shifted my life on this and is still shifting my life. Here's the story. It starts in Matthew chapter 25, uh, verse 14. It goes like this. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. So the way Jesus tells parables is there's always generally a God figure. So God is always in these parables, and we as human beings are always in these parables. So this, this one starts with the idea of a man going on a long trip. That's the God figure. 
in this parable, and we are the servants who are entrusted his money while he's gone. Verse 15, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Okay, question for you from this parable. On a scale from 0% to 100%, according to this parable, how much of that money belongs to the master? 0% to 100%, how much? 100%. 100% of this money that is being given to these servants belongs to the master. Easy question. Those of you who have had some math should be able to get this one. How much belongs to the servants? Zero percent. Zero percent us, 100 percent the master. First thing Jesus is saying here is a big deal. And it's exactly what Andy Stanley said. The moment we think that our money belongs to us and we own it, we get owned. Because that is exactly the opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. It's all God's. And he's asking you, he's entrusting you to work with that money. Now, here's the second thing. It talks about these bags of silver. So the, the interesting thing is, in Greek, it's not silver. The Greek word for this is talent. He gives five talents. And I don't mean like you're talented. A talent was an amount of money. A talent in today's dollars, the equivalent, would be worth millions of dollars. So when Jesus tells this parable, it's not like pocket change that this guy's leaving with. This master has unbelievable resources, and he's leaving behind lifetimes worth of money to these servants. Think of it this way. Five lifetimes worth of money to one, two to another, and one to the third. So before we get all mopey, uh, we don't own any money, 0% ours. Like, don't get mopey. You've been entrusted. We've been entrusted. These servants have been entrusted with, like, crazy money. The master trusts these guys. The master believes that they're going to bring creativity and entrepreneurship and, and something to, in fact, doesn't really give them any instructions. You notice that? It's not like, okay, here's exactly what I want you to do with the money. It just says, here it is. Manage it while I'm gone. It's, this is great news. We're not little kids in this story. This means that God trusts us enough to give us something that is of great value. And it's not just money. Because some of us are like, well, I don't have any money. I don't know what we're talking about. I can't, like, impact the world with the amount of money that I've got. Believe me, God has given you talent and giftedness and a sphere of influence in the people that you know, in the people that you manage, in the boss that you have to manage, in your work at school, in your friendships, in your home equity, in your 401k, in everything else, you've been given this lifetime worth of resource that God says, it's not yours, it's mine, but you are called to manage it. Incredible trust. 
to do that. Now, here's the thing. It's so funny because we approach money like I have in the past of like, dang it, I've got to write this check to the church. Here's, here's the fundamental difference, okay? Now, get ready. Like, this is hopefully, like, this is like turning the wheel of a huge ship right here. Because some of us have seen giving like a religious tax. I pay taxes to the government, 20%. Pay taxes to the state, 5%. I got a mortgage, I got this, I got that, and now, dang it, I got to give 10% away? That it's this big religious tax that we've got to pay. The ship's got to turn, and what Jesus is teaching here, he's asking us to turn the ship now, forget thinking about your money like it's a religious tax, and start to think about your money as if it is a kingdom resource that belongs to God that you and I are called to manage. No more religious tax. Everything we own is a kingdom resource that you and I are called to manage and to move forward the kingdom of God on earth. You guys, in today's day and age, with the world in the shape that it is, we don't need people who are like sad about like writing a check for something. We need people who are applying every bit of creativity in the world that we've got toward love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We need people that are caring for the poor, who are bringing justice to people who can't do it for themselves, who are determined to help people who don't yet know Jesus enter into a relationship with him and get to know him. I don't care what your job description says, that's your job description. The job description is to advance the kingdom of God. We are managers. This parable is calling us to that kind of life. Now think again for a second. Do we want to keep living in this world of like, oh, yeah, I'm taxed by the church? Or do we want to start to think of ourselves as the creative agents that God has entrusted with everything that we have? to advance the kingdom of God in this life. That's what people are going to remember and talk about you about when it's time for your memorial service. That's the stuff that we're called to. What an adventure. Man, so here's what, I, if you get anything, I'm begging you. Turn the, turn the wheel of the ship. See yourself as a manager of kingdom resources, not paying religious taxes. Easier said than done, as we're going to see in the story. Look at verses uh, 16, 17, or 16 through 18. Servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more, went out and did great. Servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. Way to go. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Why? We're going to see why in a second, and it's really important because it's going to reveal a lot about who we are too, at least for me. Why would that servant go out and do that? And let's just admit first, anytime we are managing somebody else's money, things can get weird because self-interest almost always creeps in. 
Uh, I remember when Karen and I first started out, we didn't, we didn't have that much, but we had a little bit of money, and we decided we're going to go see somebody that could help us like, think through our money. And so uh, we, we went to this woman, and we saw her, and she kind of, um, this was back before Schwab, okay? So, you know, now you can, like, make trades for nothing. Well, this is long before that. It cost hundreds of dollars to make any kind of, like, a stock trade. So we go to this woman, and she had a strategy for us to trade every year, all kinds of stuff. And, I re and, she, and she said, this is, these are the results that you get from this historically. And I remember asking her, I remember saying, hey, like, I get that. That seems really good, except... What about the fact, are we subtracting all the fees that we're paying you for these transactions? And what about the tax consequences of this if we're going to do this every single year? And she said, never forget, she just goes, I don't deal with any of that stuff. I was like, yeah, right. Self-interest. So for this guy here, it gets even more complicated if this guy who hid the money in the ground is thinking self-interest, or is he like us and confused about who actually owns the money? All right, let's, let's see what happens. Uh, verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip, called them to give an account of how they'd use his money. The servant to whom he'd entrusted the five talents came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five, and I earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. We'll celebrate. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I've earned two more. Master said, look at the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. A couple quick things I want to point out about that. It doesn't matter if you earned five or if you earned two. Did you notice God's words, the, man, the master's words were exactly the same to both? You did it. You got it. You tried. You lived. Way to go. Let's celebrate. Awesome. I love that. That's so encouraging to me because I sometimes feel like, I look at Andy Stanley and I'm like, that guy's got like 10 talents. And I've got like zero. And yet, whatever I'm given, I'm called to live that out and the master's going to look at me someday and say, well done. The second thing is this. Notice he doesn't say, you did great with those talents. Now you get to live in heaven with me on the clouds. We're going to play harps and drink, eat grapes. Okay. Like, some of us have that mindset of what eternity looks like. Guys, living in the kingdom of God and loving God in this lifetime and advancing the kingdom of God means that for all eternity, we are actually given more and more responsibility and creativity. That's good news. I like grapes, but not that much. Okay? That's a lot. So now what happens to the last guy? So I'm going to share this with you. This is where sometimes, like, in church, uh, preacher people are tempted to not share at all because Jesus has some harsh words, and they're hard to deal with. We're just going to read it all, and let's sort through it and wade through it. And if you're new to Jesus, uh, let's talk. This is a challenging passage, but here's what Jesus says to this last servant. Verse 24, the servant 
with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. This requires some unpacking. And, and this goes so much to the heart of humanity, and I so resonate with it, but you have to poke at this a little bit to really understand what's going on. Uh, the first thing that this servant says to the master is, I, I, I knew you are hard. I knew you were tough. Uh, the actual Greek word there, this was initially written in Greek by uh, one of Jesus' followers. The Greek word for hard man or harsh man, was the word scleros, okay? You might recognize that. We get our word sclerosis from it. So the kind of hardening or the um, tightening of tissue in the body, sclerosis. He's, he's saying to God, he's saying, you're hard, tough, indifferent man. Essentially what he's saying to the master is, you've been gone a long time. And, I, and I'm not, we're not actually sure that you care anymore. You're a harsh, tough person who's not really involved. Before we cast judgment on this guy, come on. You telling me that you haven't felt that way? You, you telling me in these last two years with everything that's gone on in the world. And if you live in Boulder County, it's even like triple tough. I mean, you put on shootings and fires. You telling me there's not a piece of you that's like, God, where, what happened to you? Where'd you go? That's, that's what this guy's saying. You're a tough man. You're indifferent. You're far away from me and my, our feelings. You, you probably don't care. You're a tough man. You're a harsh man. And then he uses a pretty sophisticated argument. He says, you harvest stuff where you don't do anything. In other words, what he's saying is like, God's, this master's got so much power, he doesn't need me to do anything. He can harvest stuff where he doesn't even work. He's that powerful. Why would my actions matter in a world where this master or God has that much power. It's a sophisticated argument, theological argument. Again, how many of us have thought that? It doesn't actually matter what I do because God could just do whatever God wants to do regardless. Come on, we've thought that, haven't we? I know I have. So you're a, a faraway God who can actually do what you want to do anyway so I'm not sure my opinion matters. So and at the end of the day, I was kind of afraid, so I just put it in the ground. So the people during this day, the predominant religion was kind of old Greek uh, and Roman gods. And the idea of those Greek and Roman gods was that gods are over there. They're far off. Uh, I kind of like exist for their pleasure. And the worst thing I want to do is make them mad. 
So I'm just going to live my little life here and sacrifice to them and try to keep them happy. He's echoing the kind of thought at the day. And this one's for you, Bill Stevens. I'm using the flip chart. (laughs) And this is totally lame. I didn't need to use it for this. I could have put it on the screen, but just for Bill, I'm doing this. You know what that is? Deism is the idea that God created the world, spun it like a top, sent it in motion, and then kind of turned his back and took off. It's exactly what those pagan folks believed. It's exactly what I believe sometimes, actually, if I'm really honest. That God somehow doesn't care enough and is a harsh master who's far away, who could do whatever God wants to do anyway, And so I'm a little bit of afraid, so I'm just going to kind of play it safe. That's deism. It's probably how you describe, at least in one big survey of Americans, the researcher out of Notre Dame said, this describes American spirituality. So here it is, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, defining what is true for today in his brilliance. Let's find out how Jesus responds to this idea. This is where it gets tough. So he puts his money back, but the master replied, this is verse 26. Listen to this. You wicked, and this is uh, in some translations translated evil. You wicked or evil and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops... I didn't plant and gather crops I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. What what Jesus is saying here, he's calling flatly this idea that God is distant and doesn't care. He's saying that's not just wrong. This is this is hard. He's calling it evil. He's saying, that's actually wicked. This idea that we as human beings can kind of create God however we want to create God devalues God's personality. Because you're talking about a storyteller here in Jesus who actually came to earth himself as a human being. You want to talk about not distant. He came himself in the flesh. You want to talk about not caring. He allowed the people he made to take him and nail him to a cross. That is not this. And any notion that wants to paint God in some kind of world that looks like this is actually an attempt to destroy the personality of God. And Jesus says, no, no, that's wrong. Now, we could just be wrong, right? But there's another problem with this. What this guy is doing is he's saying, it doesn't actually matter what I do because God can do whatever God wants to do. Not only are we painting God in the wrong picture, this guy is actually devaluing human life. He's basically saying what human beings do doesn't matter. You guys, I hope you hear this today loud and clear. What you do with your talent, not, again, this, The resources, all the resources God has given you, money included. What you do with that matters. It matters when you show up and help at the Chief Hayes Project. It matters when you get a toy 
and you bring it for somebody here who walks in this room. You're advancing the kingdom of God. It matters when you treat your employees fairly. It matters when you're tempted in some deal that's going on to bend the truth a little bit, so to try to get the other party on board with you. It matters when you actually tell the truth, even if you lose the deal. That's all kingdom of God agent stuff. And yes, it matters when you give with joy and generosity, not because it's a religious tax, but because you are an agent of the kingdom of God and this is not your money anyway. Wow. Do you see your life that way? Guys, that's why Jesus is saying this is, this is, this is not right. This is, that thought is evil because you have devalued, you have shifted the image of God and you've devalued human life. Both of things are dear, dear to Jesus. Last words. Verse 28, he says, Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver, or the ten talents. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they'll have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what they little they have will be taken away. And this is, whew, this is tough, verse 30. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yikes, can you imagine the mic drop? Can we, okay, can you just, there's a tension there, right? You feel that? That's, those are heavy, heavy words. I think what Jesus is getting at here and the reason why we've ended up in this space with this story is ultimately the guy who's burying the talent, he just doesn't even remotely understand the master. And there's one thing the master will never do. The master will never force you to be with him. Certainly not now and certainly not through eternity. We in 2022 ought to know by now that that would be a wrong thing to do to force someone into a relationship against their will. And so this is an invitation again as you think about your money as you think about your talent, to really examine our own hearts and understand what do I believe about God? Am I a religious person who's paying taxes? Or am I in a relationship with a loving God who came himself to this planet to advance his kingdom on earth and now I'm an agent of that? And today, what I do matters. That'll change the way you look at your interactions with people, at the way you think about your work, and it'll change the way you think about your money. What will we do with this gift? You've been given a talent. Some of you have been given 10 talents. Some of us have been given two. What will we do with that gift for the loving, incredible master that we're called to serve in this life? Lord, we, we ask that you help us with this. I, I just, oof. 
I am light years away, God, from understanding the ramifications of this in my life. And I pray, God, in the time I've got left that you would daily encourage me to help grow in that. So I pray for this church and I pray for my friends here. By your Holy Spirit, would you live in us and advance the kingdom around us. We love you, Lord. We trust you. God, help us to go out today and be incredible managers. Amen.